You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hi there, this is Sarah, and welcome back to another great episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about helping you break through limiting labels and beliefs so that you can go on and be the best version of yourself, feel great about it, and just live fully and authentically you. Um, today, we're going to talk with our guest, Lee J. McDonough, um, about many of those things, including transition, her big transition from doing clinical social work into the work she does today and how that has helped her change the lives and walk alongside many other people to become their best selves. How she navigated, I love this, the first painful 18 months of her business. So people who think you just turn a key and like walk right in and everything's smooth, Lee's going to tell you that wasn't the case. And Also, I want her to talk to us about the framework that she has developed for coaching other women who are in the helping professions. Um, And that subgroup is super important because most of the helping professions or much of the populace is women, Um, especially when you think about the nonprofit sector that is populated by a lot of women, either in leadership or on the front line. So in helping professions, I'm very interested in that. And then I've got a little pop quiz for it, the back end of it. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about Lee before we get into the interview. Lee Shea McDonough is the founder of Coach with Clarity. This is where she works with women in the helping professions, but she helps them discover their talents, experience, and intuition so they can create flexible, meaningful businesses that serve their people and support their families without selling their souls. And that is like the gem for me. In addition to her powerful coaching work, Lee is the host of Coach with Clarity podcast and author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Act on Your Business, Braving the Storms of Entrepreneurship and Creating Success Through Meaning, Mindset, and Mindfulness. So no labels, no limits, podcast listeners, You know this is right in your wheelhouse when she starts talking about all of that. Lee became a credentialed coach through the International Coach Federation and now provides ICF, accredited international trainings and continuing education for intuitive, innovative coaches. So she's gone beyond herself to help others. And she holds the ICF professional certified coach credential and the board certified coach credential from the Center for Credentialing and Education. Quite a mouthful. Lee lives in North Carolina with her husband, two sons, and her pug, Phineas. I like where this is going. And fun fact, Lee has perfect pitch, and she is a Reiki master practitioner. Um, and I'm Lee, when you come on, I, I want to ask you what it's like to have perfect pitch, because I cannot even relate. I think things sound great, and my husband's going, what? They're not even in tune. So, anyway. With that, let me formally bring Lee Shea McDonough into the podcast. Welcome, Lee. Sarah, thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here today. 
Well, as we were talking before we hit the actual record button, there's some synchronicities already in play for our conversation today. But I do want to ask you, I know this is off the wall, what is it like having perfect pitch and being around probably most of the population who doesn't? Yes, um, I think it's both a blessing and a curse sometimes. Uh, Growing up, I did a lot of musical theater, a lot of singing. And so it came in handy for performances and warmups. But I will say that if I'm listening to something and it is out of tune or just off pitch, it it feels physically painful. And my husband, I adore him, but he, you know, might have thought I was being a little over dramatic when I was explaining that to him. But yeah, it's a it can be a little problematic when when things are just ever so slightly out of tune. So it's like the whole fingernails on the chalkboard thing for you, only when things are yes. out of whack. Exactly. So one of the many things I'm grateful for, I don't have perfect pitch. Yes. (laughs) But then I'm not in that profession where it would really benefit me. So um, I just thought that was such a great thing for you to share about yourself. It puts you in the maybe two people I know in my whole life and many decades that could say that. But I'm wondering if you could start by giving us a little bit of background. First of all, how you ended up and going down the path with clinical social work and healthcare, and then how you transition from that, like what was your motivation? So a little bit about your background. Yes, absolutely. So as you mentioned, uh, in my first career, I was a clinical social worker. I uh, graduated from a dual degree program. So I got both my master's in social work and my master's of science in public health. And I specialized in maternal and infant health. I was really interested in working with moms and babies. And in fact, one of my early jobs was working as a neonatal intensive care unit social worker, which I absolutely loved. I, from a young age, always felt drawn to serving others, helping other people. And then during my adolescence, I struggled with my own mental health issues. When I was about 14 years old, I experienced panic attacks and depression Uh, It was a rocky time, and I credit being able to come through that to working with a clinical social worker. He became a really important person in my life uh, during high school and was probably my initial inspiration to research mental health and to help other people, teenagers as well, who were experiencing uh, tough times. So... Throughout high school and college, I I was a theater major and a psychology major. I I still did a lot of musical theater, but I always knew, I always knew I really wanted to be a therapist. And I took a little time off after undergrad, then went back to graduate school. I had to do a two year, at least two years of supervised uh, work in order to get my license. I mean, it was, there was a lot of work that went into it, but finally I did it. Finally, I became a therapist and Um, really loved that work for over a decade, almost 15 years, actually. And then in 2015, I experienced a lot of significant life changes. My husband and I decided that he was ready to get out of the Air Force. We had been a military family pretty much our entire marriage to that point. Uh, We had two children who, in 2015, they were eight and six, and had essentially grown up overseas because we had spent four years stationed in Germany. 
which was a wonderful experience. But I knew when we came back, we were going to have some reverse culture shock. And I was going to have to introduce my, my sons to what it's like to live in America. And then my husband bought a dental practice. He's a periodontist by training. And so here we are moving from military to civilian life. I'm, you know, reintegrating into being an American again and raising children here, helping my husband run a business. It was a lot. And so that was the point at which I decided, let me press pause on my own professional career just for a little bit to help my family transition. And it was during that pause that I realized, okay, at some point I do want to go back to work. I love working. I love having a foot in that professional world. And yet mental health wasn't really calling me. I just got the sense that I was meant to do something a little different. And so that's kind of what started the transition. So I want to go back to when you were um, first introduced to your social worker. And, and mm -hmm. I'm thinking about your kids, and they're younger than you were at that point. But how that influenced your self-perception and what might have happened had that person not been there for you. Have you ever thought about that? Oh, yes. Yes, I have. It's and, and it's a bit of a dark road to think about if I had not had that type of support when I needed it. Um, when I was 14, I was in a community theater production of The Wizard of Oz, and I got the role of Dorothy. It was one of those dream parts that I think every little girl, you know, hopes to get. Um, and it was a three weekend run. And after the first weekend, I got really sick, really sick all week. I stayed home from school. I, I almost lost my voice, but I managed to kind of pull it together so that I could go back on stage because the show must go on. And then on that first performance, I literally lost my voice while singing somewhere over the rainbow. And I had to speak my way through the song I left the stage in tears. Fortunately, I had an understudy. So she came on to finish that show in the weekend. And it was devastating, not just because, of course, it's embarrassing to have that happen on stage. But my whole life, I had been known as Lee the performer, Lee the singer, Lee the actor, and, and I was good at it. And here at 14, I had what I experienced as a massive failure. And I had gone out and failed publicly doing what I loved and what I was known for. And so it really did kind of send me into this spiral of who am I if I'm failing at the thing that I'm good at? It led to me really questioning my identity and who I was and who I wanted to be. And, and that's ultimately what led to the anxiety and the depression. And so my social worker, uh, I still remember his name, Gene Cavarini, licensed little social worker. Gene did a lot of work with me around separating who I was from what I did. We talked a lot about perfectionism, which was definitely something I did and still do have to work through. But, you know, at the, at the formative age of 14, to really be grappling with these issues of identity and how I am greater than just what I do or what I produce. Um, that really stayed with me. And I, I do think that's one of the reasons why I'm doing the work I am now, uh, certainly why I became a therapist, but even now why I am a coach, because that's what really interests me, how to help people step into their power and own their talents and skills and do good work, while also remembering that they're so much greater than what they do or what they produce. It felt to me like, like what you were grappling with at 14 is a common thing people grapple with maybe right out of college or like they're starting a career and they're going, 
what I trained for this? You know, why am I doing this? Or even mid-career where there is this kind of crisis, like I'm too far along to stop. What do I do? Only you just had the rug pulled out from you. You almost had an advanced midlife crisis before you even got into adulthood. You know? Right. <laughs> I think and you're right. I just, I, how great that he was there for you to help you start separating those things about who you are and what you do and all of that. Because there is a lot of that um, sense of if I'm not whatever the XYZ is, then I'm nothing. Yes. So and it's kind of like a spiritual breakthrough for you too, in, in hearing it from you. It absolutely did. And, and I think especially now that I've had a few decades to reflect on that and to see just what a, a pivotal moment that was. And looking back to also how even at 14, I internalized a lot of society's messages about how women are supposed to perform, what we're supposed to be, um, you know, constantly striving for that perfection. And then what happens when you miss the mark? Uh, those are those are pretty heavy things to deal with at, at any age, but certainly at 14. So, yes, I, I do think maybe I was taking an advanced placement class in life, um, you know, and and while it was hard and, and painful, I'm also quite grateful for that experience because it it really did shape my life and, and send me on this trajectory that here I am today doing what I love as a result. It would have been nice if they gave you the syllabus ahead of time, though. Yes, and maybe some college credit too. <laughs> there will be another side of this. Just hang in there. Um, so you, you're home in the states. You're helping your husband get his practice up. You're helping your kids transition into the American culture after living abroad. Um, when did you decide, like, okay, enough of that? I am ready to go back and do next version of Lee 2.0. Yes. I started really getting a sense about nine months um, after taking a break. And it was right at that nine month part two where things were starting to pick up for my husband's business. And, you know, having gone through dental school and residency and the Air Force, he was trained to be an exceptional clinician. And he is, I mean, he is just so gifted at what he does, but he never received training on how to run a business. And all of a sudden he found himself and, and I along with him, because I'm supporting him every step of the way, we're realizing we've got to figure out not just how to handle patient care, but how to handle payroll and HR and managing a staff and all of the things that go into small business ownership that neither one of us were prepared for. And I remember thinking, I really wish there were someone out there who could support us, but especially my husband through this because there it's a really unique tension when you are exceptional in one area of your work and a novice in another. And I just thought, you know, I wish there was like a therapist for your business that could help you navigate this. And of course, being the researcher I am, I started looking into it and that's when I discovered coaching. And I thought, okay, this does exist. And you know, maybe we'll find some something for him, but wait a minute. I I think I could do this. I think I could take all of my experience as a therapist and a public health professional. And now all of this experience I've had running a small business alongside my husband, I think I could blend all this and maybe do this kind of business coaching work. And so I really credit my husband because he in many ways was the inspiration behind me going into coaching. Uh, and so that's what kind of set me down that path. So you said the first 18 months were choppy, rough, 
not smooth yes. sailing. How did you navigate that? Uh, thinking back, I describe it as almost as if I were a ghost in my own business, because the way I was thinking about it when I first started was if I am going to give up my career as a therapist, if I am going to turn my back on social work and public health and, and mental health for coaching, then I better make this work. And in hindsight, I can hear the desperation and the scarcity and the fear baked into that. But in the moment, it was just like, I have to do this. And I really struggled with who am I if I'm not a therapist? Who am I if I'm not a social worker? Um, what does it mean to be going into this new field? So all of those identity issues reemerged. And because I was so concerned about, quote, making it work, I decided I'm going to do whatever it takes to be successful. And I looked at the coaches I knew who were successful, and almost all of them were executive or corporate coaches. And I decided, okay, that's what I'm going to do then. I'm going to, I'm going to do that kind of work. Never mind the fact that that wasn't necessarily what I was drawn towards or passionate about. Nope, I needed to make this work. And so 12, 18 months in, I mean, I had my business. I had some clients. I was doing fine work, but it just didn't click. And I was, I was pretty unhappy. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, what's going on here? Like, I know I'm good at this. I know I can do this. Why is this so hard? Why am I not enjoying it? And it wasn't until I kind of stepped back and realized, well, yeah, because you are engaging in your business in a way that is completely out of alignment with your values. You know, you're making decisions from a place of fear. Of course, it's going to feel hard. Of course, you're going to stumble. And so 18 months in, I had to do a major pivot. And it started by designing my own logo, which sounds like something small. But the logos that I had other people create for me to date were so corporate. I mean, honestly, they could have been on the side of like a stadium. That's how corporate they looked. And so I decided I have to reclaim my visual branding. I'm going to do it. I'm going to infuse myself in it. And that was the beginning for me because in the process of redoing my own branding, and, and let me be clear, my previous logos, they were beautiful. They were well-designed. They just weren't me. And so by doing that work, it allowed me to reconnect with my values, why I got into this profession in the first place, what I wanted to be known for. And that's the point at which I reclaimed my business and that's also the point at which things started to flow a little more easily. And, and then things really started to take off. We can underestimate that ownership piece. I mean, it's like you can be a business owner, but it's really the owning the space you create for yourself and, and honoring, owning and honoring that. So like the real Lee could emerge, not the corporate. Yes. And yes, it takes courage to do that. It does. And, and I, I feel like I should put a little caveat in there. Um, there is nothing wrong with being a corporate coach or an executive coach. No, but it I wasn't know some, you. It, it wasn't me. Exactly. Yeah. And thinking back, the people I knew who were successful in that field were so passionate about it. They had a heart for serving that population. And, and I'm, I'm so glad they did because they have done extraordinary work, but that wasn't my background. It wasn't what I felt passionate about. And so I was like playing dress up in someone else's clothes and it, it just didn't work. No, it's, and it's um, one of those things like we look at the model and say, okay, well, if this works, 
it should work for me too, right? I've got all these other boxes checked just fine. But you know what? When you feel that it's harder doing the work than it should be, because you know, when you're doing what's right for you and your clients and you're in that groove, it feels effortless. It yes. flows, right? You know that yes. you're there, you know you're serving. Um, you can hear them if they want something different. You're not like so locked in. And that's the so much of the beauty of what you just shared of going, hmm, it's the it's good. It's just not me. That's exactly right. That's exactly Which, right. Yeah. So let's talk about the mindset you had to have to kind of brave those storms and then, you know, like create your success through connecting more with your meaning and your mindfulness. Yes. So I talk about the three M's, meaning, mindset, and mindfulness quite a bit. Um, and that really I attribute to my roots as a therapist. Uh, when I was practicing, I specialized in an approach called acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT for short, hence the name of my book, ACT on Your Business, a bit of a play on words there. But really, um, the three M's are my spin, my take on the core principles of ACT. And the beauty of ACT is that even though it was designed as a therapeutic modality, the principles are universal and, and universally applicable. They work in small business. They work in relationships. They, they, they just work. And so um, I really find it helpful to start with meaning because that's all about what do you stand for? What do you believe in? What do you want to be known for? What are your core values? And then how are you expressing them? To what extent are your values reflected in your work? And so when I went back in my business to kind of do that deeper work, that's what it was about for me. I knew what my values were, but I was not fully expressing them in my business. I was muting myself because I thought I needed to look or sound a different way for other people. Um, so for me, it really started with clarifying my values and then deciding how I wanted to express them in my business. But here's the thing, when we, when we do that, when we make a conscious choice to stand up and state who we are and what we believe in and have that reflected in our work, that can be a really scary thing to do, and especially because, it, right? And when it, we use our absolutely. voices, yeah, well, yeah and, and what I realized was I'm using my voice, I'm putting myself out there, I'm becoming more visible. And what I realized was that as my visibility increased, my vulnerability increased. And so as I became more vulnerable, that's when my mind kind of took over and started trying to keep me safe by saying, who are you to do this? You know, you shouldn't put yourself out there. You shouldn't share what you think. All of those things to try to keep me safe because I was becoming more visible and more vulnerable. And so the trick then is to really notice that that's happening understand that it is a normal response. This is how we are wired. This is what we do. And then ask ourselves, is this what I need right now? Is safety, true safety what I need? Because sometimes the answer will be yes. There are times where it's not safe or not appropriate for us to be our full selves. But more often than not, and especially in business, the answer is, this is not a time for safety. This is a time to maybe take a risk and put myself out there. And so that's really what was coming up for me then. And quite honestly, it's what comes up for me even today in my business, that that push pull energy between putting myself out there and being bold and also wanting to ensure that I'm safe and everything's going to be okay. Yeah, I think that's an inherent tension in in being out, 
in the world. You know, it's like, okay, you're comfortable in your niche or in your family or whatever that is for whoever's listening. And then you get outside of that and you can just, it's almost like if you've had a wind protector and then you step outside of it, you can feel the wind and you're going, okay, is this going to be too cold? Do I need to back up? Can I just go venture further? Um, And it is mindset or sometimes it's just a head game too. It's that whole thing. Like I hear you talking to me, just pipe down for right now. It's all good. I'll be the adult right now. And and really, I think that's such a powerful thing to ask yourself, is this what I need right now? Yeah. Because maybe I, it is. Yeah, yes. And and that's the thing is, so, sometimes it is. It's it, Our mind is not the bad guy, right? Even when it's churning out all of these messages that don't feel good, that are uncomfortable, that limit us, it's not doing it out of spite or malice. Our mind is doing what it thinks is its job. It, our mind is essentially an overactive safety monitor. And we have to decide whether now is the time to have our safety monitored or whether it's worth kind of going out on, on the limb and, and putting ourselves out there. So I want to ask you a question specific to the safety monitor and thinking for myself of that of that example of the safety monitor, but also using the overlay of a thermostat. So when the room we're in starts getting too hot, right? And mm-hmm. I mean, like, so we're out in the world and what we hear is not safe, not safe, not safe. Do Does the mind start believing that's true? And so now we have this heightened awareness without even knowing whether in fact it is true. Like we're just our environment makes us feel so like I'm in a room and it's getting hotter. I'm going too hot, too hot. Is it too hot or could have I got too much clothes on? You know, what's how do I know the truth from the fiction that's going on? I think that is the million dollar question, right? Um, because the the fact is there are environments where it is figuratively and sometimes literally unsafe for people women, people of color, like there are times where external environmental forces really are working against us. And I think the danger sometimes with some mindset work is that it bypasses people's lived experiences to try to say, oh, it's just in your head. You're making this up. You're buying into your own thoughts and not paying attention to the real world implications of what it means to be a woman, a minority. And so I think the question you asked is so important because we want to create space for the possibility that, no, this really is a problematic environment and I need to figure out how to negotiate it. And at the same time, how much of this am I generating myself? How much of this is kind of more classic mindset issues? And so I think this is where tuning into our own internal compass can be really helpful whether we call that intuition, inner wisdom, gut feelings, but sometimes it means dropping down out of our heads and into our guts and really noticing like in my body, what is happening here? Is is the fear coming from that deep level place? Is this a safety, security, take care of yourself issue? Or is the fear more coming from the head and the mind chatter and so forth? So for me, that somatic piece is really important in terms of differentiating between legitimate fear and kind of that mind contrived fear. Now, is that part of the framework that you've developed is that whole somatic, the whole knowing where your information and where we, our actions are coming from? Or can you talk it is. about that? Yes, I think, you know, if we were going to tie that into one of the three M's, it would probably be mindfulness. Because 
for me, mindfulness is about present moment awareness. So really taking stock of what's happening in the moment um, while meeting yourself with a sense of openness and curiosity and non-attachment. So when we're looking at trying to decipher what's going on in our inner world, in our outer world, making sense between the two, I think mindfulness allows us to tune into the present moment and, and to make those um, objective uh, conclusions. So when I'm working with my clients or when I'm teaching my students, I am always interested in helping them determine how their intuition shows up for them. Because as a coach, my intuition is one of, if not my most valuable skills that I have. So much of the work that I do is informed by my intuition. Um, how do I use that in tandem with data and external knowledge and, and that sort of thing? And so for me, it starts with being mindful so that I can tune into all of these things and start making sense of them. It's a very rich kind of blending of information, but you have to be present to get it. Yes. Which, which is an irony in and of itself, right? If you've got all this, you've just got to be able to settle in and go, hmm, and not be in a huge rush. So That's exactly I, let, right. Let's, um, let me ask you, you know, you talk about helping women in the helping professions. So I'm guessing that was inspired by your um, love of helping women like you who right, have created that space. Um, but what does it look like to have a flexible, meaningful business then? For me, it looks like a business that honors what you believe in, honors what you value, that allows for space for the things you love outside of your business. And it looks like being able to create your own approaches to your work. So for example, if, if you're a coach, I do, and I find it really helpful to have some theoretical frameworks that I lean on um, that ensures that I'm providing ethical, evidence-based coaching interventions for my clients. So that's like the scaffolding, but I also want to make it my own. There has to be room for my perspective, my take, my tools and, and strategies. And so a flexible, meaningful business, especially in the coaching realm, looks like blending all of this together so that we are taking inspiration from those that have gone before us, but we're also creating space for us to really shine, for our talents and our strengths to come through while ensuring that we're centering the client that what we're doing in our work is to help the client achieve their goals and, and see the success that they want. So flexibility for me really does come down to, again, how you choose to express your values and then how we can make sure that you are still a part of your business, that you don't become a ghost in your business like I did when I first started out. So what are some of the trends? I mean, you, you started before COVID. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've been you've yeah. been on that trend line, right? Like, okay, here's this going on. I don't want to jinx us. We are coming out, hopefully, gonna have a year of good health. Let's say improved yes. health globally would be best. But what trends, if any, are you seeing in the women who ask to work with you and maybe even their priorities, like the kinds of things, questions they're asking? Yes. One of the trends that I saw 
during and then coming out of the pandemic was the desire for deeper connection. I think when we were all isolated and or quarantining when we were when we were social distancing, um, which was, you know, necessary. I'm, I'm, I understand the importance of that, but it also, I think, showed many of us just how lonely we were or how lonely we could become without those social and emotional connections. And so in, in my work, what I'm seeing from women is that they are looking for that deeper connection with others in their work. And while also balancing it with their desire for that freedom and that flexibility. So maybe they do want to work from home. Maybe they do want to work less than 40 hours a week. Maybe they want to have kind of a non-traditional approach to their work. How do they do that while still being of service to others and while still finding ways to create and, and really deepen those connections with others? And one of the things I love most about coaching is that it does allow us the opportunity to create those deep connections with our clients, with our colleagues, with the people we serve. And so for people who are looking for that deeper sense of meaning through connection, I feel like there's there's no better way to do it than through coaching because it benefits all of us. Certainly your clients are going to benefit from your coaching, but the most magical coaching sessions I ever conduct, I walk away with just as many epiphanies and, and just as inspired, if not more so than my clients. And I, I think that's really the beauty of it. I'd have to agree with you. You know, it's hard to have a meaningful interaction in business or life, right? When you're really showing up that you don't walk away enhanced, not because that was your intention going in, like, I got to get something out of this, but you just can be amazed. And sometimes it's by the smallest inconsequential moments, you know, like, whoa, I can't believe that happened. That is so cool, you know, or someone yes. just shared something that was like, I had no idea that was so inspiring. So I I totally agree with you. And I, I would say also for me that coming out of the pandemic, I like being alone. You know, like when people said, oh, it's so hard not seeing people. I'm thinking, really? Okay. You know, it was hard for me, like when the weather was crummy and I couldn't get out to walk. But, you know, being most of an introvert and my work is online. So I do get to talk to people. But when we got back together in groups, I thought, oh, joy, oh, joy. You know, just so great. You can watch people's faces light up no matter how stressed they are. They come in a room with people they know and they just kind of get settled in with it. And that piece of taking time and not being everything so buttoned up and on schedule in this way, it's like I actually do similar to you. Just say before I go in, okay, I'm just make sure I stay listening to the external guidance that comes in today because. I, it will make this event better for everybody here, including me. And that's a huge leap of faith, right? To let go. Even though you're planned and super scripted, I'm thinking, eh, that's overrated. The people in the room are what counts. We'll get our work done. And it has shifted the working and consequently, to your point, the enjoyment and benefit of it. But all of that was tied back to going back to looking at values. Why are you doing it? You know, why do you yeah. show up? Why do you work? I get that question a lot. Why do you work? Are you going to retire? I'm thinking, uh, no. Let me know. I'll let I, you know. Like, it's fun. I, People are Exactly. Fun. That's exactly right. You know, I, I'm at the point with my business now where much of my work is about um, initial training for coaches or continuing education. But I still love 
actually coaching and I love one-on-one coaching. And, and people ask me if I'm going to ever move away from that and go 100% into the training and education side. And I tell them, I hope not. You know, I became a coach because I love coaching and I love that connection and I never want to give it up. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. People are great. People, you know, it's just, and so I do it also. It's good mental health. You hang out with people who are trying to do good things in the world. It really shifts your focus. So when there's a bunch of negative people going, this is wrong, that's wrong. And thinking people I'm hanging out with, aren't those people, you know? Yeah. And they're global. I mean, there's people all around the world. So you can't say, well, you're just in your own neighborhood. It's like, not really. Mm -mm. I I want to go back to what you just said about creating space for the external guidance in session, because I I just I love that. And I think it's it is scary. It it, it does require a leap of faith, uh, as you said. But also when we're open to that, it can really take the pressure off because it's not up to the coach to create some epiphany for their client. Um, It's about surrendering to the moment and allowing what wants to come forth to come forth and then co-creating the experience, not just with the client, but also from this external guidance. And so when coaches are open to that, when we understand how to create structure for a session so that we know, all right, we've got this container in which we can make magic, but now let's leave space for the magic. Let's, let's allow that to come forth. That is, um, that's at the heart of powerful coaching. Yep. I think that is so true. Okay. So I want to pretend that I'm someone listening to this podcast and I will be when I re-listen to it, but, and I'm thinking, well, how do I know if I should reach out to a coach? So Lee, I imagine you've had many people reach out to you go, I don't know, is this the right time? Talk to us about when a good time to reach out for a coach is one, and two, how to initiate a conversation to make sure that you as the coachee are heard. Yes. Well, I might be a little biased because I think any time is a good time to reach out to a coach. Uh, But I will say what I find is that my clients who get the most out of coaching are at a point in their life where things are fine. They're good. Things are things are moving along. You know, if things were to continue as they are, there wouldn't be any major drama or headaches. It would be fine. But it's not exceptional. You know, it's not outstanding. And they sense inside themselves that they are capable of more, whatever that might look like, that there's a hunger for something richer, uh, a deeper experience in their work and their relationships and their life. And so they're really searching for how to bring that into their, their everyday life. So they're not necessarily suffering or in pain, but they just get the sense that there's something missing and they would love to just amp up their experience a bit. I would say that's been true for me as I've reached out for coaches, different coaches. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, so like, what is your pain? I'm going, my pain is, I just know that I'm not reaching, but I can't tell you. So you're going to have to help me discover it, right? Because if I knew what it was, I would know what to do. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And so to your question about, you know, not just when to reach out, but what to look for. Again, the the center point of the coaching experience is the relationship. So number one, there needs to be a connection 
and whatever that feels like for you. But when you have that sense of this person really understands me, this person sees me, I feel safe to be myself with them. I can talk to them about anything and everything. That's a really good sign. Um, so I, I definitely think the relationship above all. And, you know, I say this as someone who is a credentialed coach and I teach other people how to become coaches and and all of that. I, I appreciate certifications because it they suggest, okay, this person's done the work and, and they've got the training and they've got the know-how. I don't want to minimize that. But I would say those should support that connection you feel with the person. Um, you can be talking to someone who's been coaching for 25 years and has every certification under the sun and it's alphabet soup after their name. And you can have zero chemistry with them and just feel like, nope, this is not my person. And, and that happens sometimes. So I would say allow the training and the credentials to support your inner knowing as to whether this is a good connection with the person in front of you. Because I know some outstanding coaches who aren't certified, who don't have any letters after their name, but they take the craft of coaching seriously. They participate in their own education. They are always seeking to improve their skills. And to me, that matters more than, than just about anything else. That's really good advice. Okay, I'm shifting gears on you. I'm going to okay. shift two more times, but this is just a fun little shift. So you have your podcast. Yes. What was, what was your impetus for starting your podcast? Well, I love podcasts. I, sh I should say that like from the top, I've been listening to podcasts now for, I don't know, 10, 12 years. Um, I just as a listener find it such a wonderful way to engage with other people with hosts and, and to see the communities that have been built around podcasts and shared interests. So as a listener, I loved podcasts. And then as I started growing my business, I realized there needs to be a way for me to share my content, to share my expertise, to develop those connections with my audience. I tried blogging when I first started in 2015, 2016, and, and I enjoy writing too, but I never really felt that pull to blogging. And so consequently, I struggled with consistency, it didn't get traction. Um, and then I just thought, you know, if I love pot, if I love listening to podcasts, why not start my own? Why not allow my podcast to be that kind of content anchor for my business? So um, Co the Coach with Clarity podcast, I will admit, it's actually my second podcast. I started a different one in 2018, 2019 called Work Your Inner Wisdom. And it was a lot of fun. And it's where I learned how to podcast. And it looked at the intersection between spirituality and entrepreneurship, which I personally was really interested in. But yet again, it's it's the same theme coming back. I was hiding in my own podcast. I was not putting myself forward as an expert in coaching or coach training. I was more the curious observer. I was kind of the proxy for the listener. And as fun as it was, it wasn't really serving my business because I wasn't putting myself out there. I was hiding again. So I took a hiatus. I restructured things. I came back as the Coach with Clarity podcast and decided, no, I'm going to claim this as my own. And again, that's when things took off. When I, when I was willing to put myself out there and be a little vulnerable, that's when I was able to develop deeper connections with my listeners and with the audience. Um, 
And there's just something so intimate about podcasting, about literally having someone's voice in your ears. I think it builds relationships like no other medium. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a diehard podcaster for life. I'm right there with you. And even back to like the old time radio, it's just there's something about hearing and then visualizing without someone else telling you what the visual is. Yes. You know, but it's like, okay, I'm just listening to Lee, listening to Lee. Oh, I just got that nugget that I missed the first time I listened. So I, I do. I think that's a great medium. What's been something that has surprised you or inspired you over the last few months with your own work? I just recorded an interview yesterday uh, for my show about accessibility in coaching and specifically how um, entrepreneurs who are neurodivergent can create really strong businesses. And I was speaking with my guest about accommodations and how a lot of times um, neurodiverse folks will need to request accommodations from their employer or so forth. And she made the point that when we're in business for ourselves, we are allowed to ask ourselves for those same accommodations. There's a lot of pressure, I think, sometimes to, you know, nose to the grindstone, 12 hour days, got to make this happen, all of that, like push force energy. And her point, regardless of whether or not you are neurodivergent is that's not a healthy way for a business owner to be that's not sustainable. And so we owe it to ourselves to offer ourselves the same accommodations that we would ask for from another company or that we would willingly give someone else. And so the idea that yet again, okay, I, I am the CEO of my own business. I can create accommodations that work for my lifestyle. It, I mean, it, it seems like, well, yeah, of course, but it was such a moment for me yesterday. And it allowed me to think about, all right, how do I want to structure my day? How do I want to structure my workload? How can I set up these accommodations for myself that ultimately are actually, they're going to help my business and they're going to allow me to thrive. So that's a recent aha moment that I had from my podcast. I love that. And I had a, I had a coach, I still have her, but that was the one of the first things she made me do. And it, she didn't call them accommodation. She says, okay, but where are you in this? Like, I, you're really organized. You got all this strategy, blah, blah, blah. But where are you? And I said, she goes, and by the way, when have you had a vacation? I says, well, I'm going to do that when, like I'm, we were caring for a family member. And she goes, okay, that all sounds nice. I want you to plan it now. Even if you don't go, I want you to get in the habit of it. So that's like three years ago. Man, I'm taking the whole month of April off this year. It's like my husband goes, can we do that? I says, yeah, we can do that. Because yeah, I watch me myself. <laughs> and I had, you know, like, and people go, you'll go to make a doctor's appointment. Will that be convenient for you? You know, and I, with your work. And I says, yeah, my boss is, she's really great. <laughs> but, but also, you know, because you wouldn't say to someone else, no, you can't go to the dentist. I'm sorry that you have mm -hmm. a toothache, you know, you wouldn't, but you might put yourself on hold. Well, it's not that bad. I could go later. And I think that whole accommodation, um, I think we should rename accommodations to elevation because if we allow that mm. for everybody, we're all going to be doing so much better because we are in our best zones. Yes, and it doesn't take away that. from anybody. No, it doesn't. And, you know, it's really in line with something else that has been top of mind for me, especially over the last few months. I have been doing my own work around compassion 
and specifically what it means to offer myself compassion. And in many ways, this can connect to mindset work as well, because I am much more compassionate and much kinder to other people than I am to myself. And I would offer people grace, accommodations, elevations I, freely. And yet I would not necessarily grant that to myself. So I've really been exploring what it looks like to not just have compassion for others, but compassion for myself as well. And I'll be honest with you, it was uncomfortable at first. It felt like I was maybe making too many demands. Is it okay that I want? Is it okay? To, am I allowed to? And so along with that compassion then came permission, you know, and what, what does it look like to give myself permission to, I don't know, treat myself kindly, enjoy myself, at least treat myself how I would one of my clients, you know, if, if they get this from me, why don't I get this from me? So all of this is like very much in line, this idea of just being gentle, being kind to ourselves, um, giving ourselves permission to ask for or receive what we need. And then watch how that affects your relationships with other people and how it models the kind of behavior that you would want your clients to do as well. Because I want my clients to be kind and compassionate to themselves. So maybe I need to model that for them too. Yep. Boy, and you know, folks listening, that was the mic drop moment right there because it does, it comes back. If we can't be compassionate to ourselves, I have found that I can I can offer that to others, but it's not quite as sincere because I don't know what it feels like to have it. You know, like I get, mm -hmm. I go, I get the right words to say, you can model it, but when you feel it, it's just different. And then it's so much more easy to offer it. It's like, it doesn't cost anything to be compassionate. No skin off yeah. my nose. You know, it's like, just be kind. You are so right though. We do need to have the experience of really embodying what it means to be compassionate to ourselves on that deep gut level, knowing what it feels like. Um, because it is, it's something that we can think about. We can try to think our way through it, but we need to like let it drop in deeper. It. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good at that. I am too. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So so it is, it's 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 not it's one of those things, it's simple but not easy, you know? And and we really do have to practice it. Uh, and the more we practice it, the more easier it becomes until hopefully it's second nature that we extend to ourselves that which we would extend to another. Yeah. And, you know, you know, and I'm going to make, I do believe this is true. So I'm going with my own truth on this one. Call me Dorothy. Um, but <laughs> when I have a day where I have been kind to myself, it doesn't mean I go, oh, you don't feel like doing that. Don't do it. But like, if I check in with myself and is there a reason, is there something else going on, but really check in with myself, actually I get more done. But at the end of the day, I just feel physically and mentally lighter, freer, Yes, you know, less things yes. bug me, you know, something that might otherwise bother me. That's like, oh, that's funny. It wasn't funny yesterday at this time, right? Because I was so serious about everything. And um, so I think the lighter we become, we can hold space for others too, without being judgmental. And, you know, whether we agree or not, we can just hold some space for that. So Lee, I am glad you claimed that truth because I, I think you are really onto something there. It works for me. And, you know, that's all you yeah. can do is like, I can, I can own that. I have spent years like 
And I just I was talking in a group. I'm being coached in a group. And that was the question was, what have you noticed recently? And it was around a specific topic. And I said, you know, I just decided maybe last month, month before, I'm not sure when, but I thought, I'm just done. I'm just done. I'm not going to be mean to myself about that. I trust myself and I trust my body. And I, tr I said, I'm aware. I pay attention. I have the info. I'm just not going to quit. Keep push, push, pushing. You know, Sarah, just do it. Let go. Show up. 100%. Mm -hmm. And that's plenty. So, but really letting go. And then everything starts flowing so much better. Look at you. Showed so up. true. You showed up. <laughs> So, um, but I, I do know that you have a gift for our audience, which is super cool. Can you talk about that? And don't, before she does, yes. we'll have the links in the show notes. So don't worry about scribbling down stuff real quick. Yes. I would love to share a chapter from my book, Act on Your Business. It's all about the three M's. So we really take a deeper dive into meaning, mindset, mindfulness, what they are, why they matter how they work together. So it's really a lovely continuation, actually, of the conversation we've had today. So if you head to coachwithclarity.com slash act, you can download that free chapter for yourself. Oh, that is great. Because I'm really curious how you have that framed out. So I will be checking that out. And this podcast, even though we're recording it towards the latter part of January, I almost said July, but January, will air in February. The, the month of love. So mm -hmm. give us a tip, a piece of advice, some words of wisdom that helps us show love and compassion to ourselves as we go in and through February and beyond into this year. Oh, what a beautiful question. And so timely too. I think my greatest tip, it's, it's one of the things that I do all the time. Um, when I notice that my thoughts are unkind, where I'm judging myself harshly or critiquing myself and the mind chatter is just going, 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 and I stop and I pause and I notice up oh, there's my mind doing its thing again. All I have to do is say two words, and that is thanks, mind. And I'm literally thanking my mind. Because as we talked about before, all my mind is doing is its job. It's trying to keep me safe. And so when I'm able to just say, thanks, mind, it's my little reminder that, oh, I'm doing, I'm okay. Okay. I'm, I'm doing what minds do. I'm, I'm acting like a human. This is normal. This is okay. Um, but in that, it creates some space between the thoughts that I'm having and my actual self. So separating identity from the thought. And in that space, that's the space where we regain our sense of power, our sense of agency, where we get to make decisions. And I think that's also the space where we can choose to approach ourselves with love and kindness and compassion. So for me, this is my riff on an old act technique, um, but just stopping and saying, thanks, mind, when I notice and not sarcastic, not meant to be joking, although it is kind of funny, but really, truly offering some gratitude for my mind and the way it's trying to work to support me and then making a choice there to respond with love. Well, I don't think it could be any better than that. I will ask the universe, how could it be any better than that? I don't want to assume it couldn't be. And listeners, I want to remind you today what Lee shared with us. She talked to us about that transition, right, from her clinical practice, moving her family overseas back home, 
reintegrating with the U.S. pace of life and expectations, starting a new business with her husband, running that, starting another business for herself, finding her true voice and showing up as her best self. So now she can coach other women in helping professions to do the same. Talked a little bit about her framework, gave us a free download of a chapter, which will be great to read. And, you know, she shared a little bit about what she's been inspired with on her podcast. So that has been a rich conversation with today's guest. If you liked this podcast, if you found value from what Lee shared with you, please share it with a friend. Um, let them know why, you know, tell them why this particular part of it stood out for me. I thought you might enjoy it. Give us a rating and review. That really helps get the word out to other folks who would benefit from hearing from Lee and other experts like her. Um, and frankly, I want to thank those of you who have been doing that because it's put us in the top 3% of podcasts globally, not just here in the States. So yeah, I was shocked to find that. It was extremely gratifying, mainly because I know our guests are superstars. So um, I'm glad about that. So come back next week. And with that, We'll thank Lee one more time and we're done for this week. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.